with Alan Mosley. Guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by the number one producer in late night. It's Blake Osborne. You, you're too kind. You're too kind. I'm not number one. I'm well, like number I, what, what happened is, is I've already lied because yeah. we're not always joined by you because yeah, literally yeah. last week we weren't joined by you. You're right. You're right. I was somewhere. You were, you were doing your civic duty. That's what, that's what you were doing. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, no. What? Come on. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So what happened was is, and I explained this last week is it's not Blake's fine. There's nothing wrong with Blake. But what, what happened was, is we were getting ready to do the show and there was a bunch of nans going on with the election. And yeah. when we all went to bed Tuesday night, we all thought one thing. And then yeah. when we woke up Wednesday morning, they were saying something else. Yeah. So it was Wednesday and it was the day of the show. Uh-huh. And I had texted you yeah. and I had said, if we record the episode, I mean, w- which we don't record it in advance. This is no, why. No, no, of course. But if we do show. record yeah. the episode right. around midday and then a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens in the news before the episode premieres live right. at nine o'clock Eastern time, as always. Yeah. Then I mean it'll it'll just be irrelevant, right? right like sure. Like yeah. I could say, well, did you did you see where Mich- Michigan went for Kanye, and then come the evening I time wish. they say, well, no, in fact it wasn't Kanye, it was Joe Biden, and then right. we would look like idiots. Yeah, yeah. Because because the last thing we <laughs> like we need any help, right? We don't need any help <laughs> looking like idiots. Very true. Blake, guess what I did? What did you do? I finally watched the first episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it great? It was, it was good. It was good. Now I know what some people at home might be thinking that watch the show is now, wait a minute. Isn't that on that same network that you were just saying a few weeks ago was thanking the Chinese communist party because they filmed their, they filmed their Mulan movie over there by the, by the, it wasn't uh, Mulan, so that's okay, I guess. By the, by the concentration camps. Yeah. And the answer is yes, that yes. is true. Uh-huh. And that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a concentration camp full of Yodas? Well, I mean, at least at least the cast of The Mandalorian didn't thank the Chinese yeah. Communist Party. Exactly. For letting exactly. them shoot Very true. where they... <laughs> yeah, so Tantooine is not where the Uyghur Muslims are being genocided. Yes. So it, now, maybe now the you fan know. people are, but you know. Blake, be careful. You're going to get us in trouble. It's Tuscan Raiders. I know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get us in so much trouble. <laughs> so I, I just want to say really quickly, uh, something serious before we go to our first break okay. is I got up this morning earlier than I wanted to. Okay. If you know me, if I'm up before noon, I'm up earlier than I want to be. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And I pull up social media because even though I kind of already have my show notes ready and, and we're going to talk to our buddy Mike Meharry today and yeah. he and I had already discussed the show, I like to look because you never know. Like maybe I would get on and they would say, oh, look, you know, Hurricane Katrina's back for more or, you know, whatever. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I go on there and there's this story trending on Twitter Okay. that says... Pennsylvania postal worker recounts allegations of voter fraud. Okay. Now, for I, I'm that's not really what today's episode is about. It's 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 this whole big thing. You can go look it up if you want to. But basically, there was this there was this postal worker in Pennsylvania that had gotten with uh, James O'Keefe or whatever from Project Veritas, and okay. he was talking about, um, hey, I I was witness to, I overheard some conversations from some of the higher ups that were suggesting doing things that I believe are against 
election laws wow. here in the state of Pennsylvania. And then Twitter, excuse me, Twitter then turned around this morning and was saying, oh no, he recounted all that. It was fake news. You know, he, the, the affidavit that he had, the sworn affidavit that he yeah. had signed, that was all BS. So no story here. Let's move on. And they were saying that that was being reported by like the Washington Post and the Jeez. New York Times and all this stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to click on this just because that doesn't, I mean, that, that could totally be. Yeah. But that just doesn't sound right because okay. like literally, this is another deal where I went to bed and the story was one thing and then I woke up and the story was a different thing. It seems like that's mm -hmm. not right. Yeah. So I look it up and sure enough, no, he did not recount his allegations whatsoever. Mm. He has not backed off of his statements and his sworn affidavit. Mm. He is still available to be, to be interviewed, to be questioned okay. in front of like, you know, a congressional panel. And, and for, for his part in O'Keefe, the Project Veritas guy, he was actually pointing out that this guy was being targeted now by the U.S. Postal Service. Big wow. shocker there, right? Targeting yeah, right. the whistleblower. And he had a GoFundMe that had raised money and then GoFundMe suspended his campaign. Goodness. And then, but, but like, like literally here's the guy, I think his name is Hopkins. Here's Ho Mr. Hopkins. Here's him saying, I have not recounted my allegations. That is not true. But if you go on Twitter, it's just, it's just hundreds of thousands, millions of people liking and sharing. Oh no, he recounted fake news. And, and now they've moved on to, you know, a, a Britney Spears has, has failed to get her father off of her conservatorship. Like oh, that's really? like, that's now supplanted that, that old, that's old news. We're now on to Britney Spears. <laughs> and so the point, the point bringing that I'm, I'm bringing up is, is that I, I like I'm, that story hasn't played out enough for me to really have an opinion one way or the other. I absolutely think there's shenanigans going on with the election, but you know what? There's guess what guys, there's shenanigans going on with every election. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is, is that I'm not even like here to comment about specifically the situation in Pennsylvania. Right. What I'm commenting about is, is just look how easy, look how easy it is for them to take a story, decide which way they're going to play it. And it's over. Yeah. Just like that. It's over. Yep. You're going to get the news you're going to get no matter what you want. So that, that's why. All I can tell people is it's kind of like diversifying your portfolio, right? You got to right. you got to diversify your reach. If you're a content creator like uh -huh. us yeah. here at It's Too Late, you have to kind of get out there on as many platforms as you can because you right. just never know. Yeah, you, you know. just never know what what the what the reach is going to be. You never know what the algorithms are going to do. Mm -hmm. You never know when the mob might come for you and you might need to have a place to retreat to. Yep. So, you know, we're on Facebook. I know yep, a lot yep. of people complain about Facebook. Mm -hmm. We do too, but we're on there because we're doing the best we can. Yep. We're on Twitter. I, yep. I know I was just saying that about Twitter, but we're on Twitter. All yep. we can do is do our best to like and share people right. that we support. Right. And we're also on Parler. So you can yep. go to Parler at Alan Mosley. I, I know we, we have forgotten a few weeks to mention that, but we're on yep. Parler now too. And, you know, I, and I don't know. I mean, and there's Gab and MeWe and, oh, and, and Minds yeah. and Locals and all these other places. All I can tell people is, is we were, I was actually talking to our friend Mike Meharry right before we started the mm -hmm. show. And he was telling me, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of reluctant to get invested in a lot of those. Cause you just, you just don't know which one of those are going to really be around. And you right. really don't know if they're going to be doing anything different with their algorithms than mm -hmm. Facebook or Twitter. 
And I guess all I can say is, is that I, I understand that. And I, and it's, and it's just a ton of work to constantly be just, just, you just, I hate it. You know me, I hate it. This is why our show is dying. I hate hate promoting, but I don't denigrate anybody who is looking for an alternative because we absolutely need one. Absolutely. So we'll try. Speaking of alternative, man, I've noticed on just on my Facebook lately, the mass exodus, the parlor. It's, yeah. it's been crazy. Like almost all my friends have gotten, just jumped on parlor. It's, it's, well, I've seen people saying they're going to parlor, but I've also seen people come right back and say, I didn't like it. Cause I didn't like the interface well, or whatever. What you're saying, you know, have your feet in both tubs. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, yeah. if, if, if nothing else, we say on this program, you can have your cake and eat it too. That's right. Except for me. I'm on a diet. <laughs> I just feel like crap today. That's because you're on a diet. Is that, if that's why it is, then I should just go have a pizza. That's right. And cake. And cake. Cake pizza. Pizza cake. Wouldn't that be something? I'm sure it exists. If you can think it, it exists, man. I know. Guys, we will be right back with more right after this break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. So, yeah, guess who just walked in? Who? Look who it is. It's Mike Meharry. There he is. Hey. Wait, hold on. That's not the shirt I remember you wearing. (laughs) Well, I was in the green room hanging out. You know, waiting for my entrance, and so I changed my shirt because I was wearing Mickey Mouse in honor of the election, but you couldn't see Mickey, so it just looked like I was wearing a gray t-shirt, t- and that didn't seem proper attire for it's too late with Alan Mosley. So <laughs> I spiffed, I spiffed up a little bit back in the green room, and and here we are, right? Well, here we are, exactly. Now we're now you and I are going to get to the serious news in the next couple of segments, but uh, do you want to join us for meme of the week and viewer mail? Well, heck yeah. Absolutely. Hey, hey, Blake. Yeah. What time is it? Meme of the week. Cheer up, kid. Everything's better now. Can my daddy finally come home from fighting in Afghanistan? (laughs) 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 That's a big fat no. 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 (laughs) Now... Some people may have noticed, it's, this isn't always true, but some people may have noticed that, you know, sometimes our meme of the week is sort of like tangentially related to what we're going to talk about later in the episode. Yeah. So tonight's episode is actually titled, The More Things Change, dot, 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 right. I, the more they stay the same, yeah. for, for the layman who doesn't get the reference. <laughs> um, so we will come back to that topic a little bit later in the show. But until then, let's answer some viewer mail. <laughs> Time for that part of the show. Questions, questions, so we the week. Just the only one who stuck around. And we're on all I'd like to thank the people who are like all the things back. That's wow. story, story of my life, that, right? I can't uh, read so, that. It just went by so fast, you know? First question is from Clay Davis, who writes, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike, uh, give us your best, the drunkest I ever was story. Mike, what's what's the drunkest you ever ever was story? 
Well, given that I really don't drink more than one beer at a time, I've never been drunk enough to have a drunk story. This, this is really bad news for Clay because, so I don't drink, so I don't have <laughs> the drunkest I ever was story. And I'm pretty sure Blake doesn't really drink either. I don't drink either. So you're talking to a bunch of normal dudes. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> a bunch of squares. Yeah. A bunch of square britches over here. Just, you know, the, the, the only thing I imbibe is the, is the warming glow of Christ. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like how everyone else on the program is laughing when I said that. What, is that, what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, Celeste Annis writes, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike, uh, what, do you, what do you typically impulse buy when you go shopping? Mike, what do you impulse buy? My big impulse buy is food. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter what kind of food. Just food. Yeah. And I'm on a diet too, so I really want food. This is this is just like the this most the depressing point in the show. show. Yeah, <laughs> and we don't we don't drink, we don't eat. Yeah, we don't really. We we just love the Lord. That's yeah, just it. That's all we do. That's we do. Yes, we um, do. So, I don't know. I guess if I was going to be specific and not just say just food as a blanket statement, like you know what they always say is like if you're going to go grocery shopping, like don't go on an empty stomach. Yeah. Because then that make like you're hungry, so you pick things out. I'll tell you what I used to do. I don't do this anymore because I'm just a depressing loser. But I used to, I used to think like, like me, so me and Anna Kay, sometimes we'd be like, we'd really have a heart up for like a Reese's cup. So we'd run down to like the corner gas station to get like, get like the king size Reese's cup thing and we would share it. Yeah. So sometimes then I'd be at the grocery store and I would think, man, the gas station's just robbing me blind. Like I'm paying four bucks for this one container of Reese cups. Yeah. So I'll just buy the whole bag of Reese cups from the grocery <laughs> store to save me. This is how you rationalize it, right? Like yeah. I'm, look guys, I'm just saving money. I'm just saving money as I'm just like just fisting Reese's cups, just four or five at a time. I'm saving money. So Reese cups. Uh, this is exactly why I buy the king size bag of M&Ms. There you go. Ooh, aha. See, mm-hmm. now see? we're, now we're getting down prevails. to it. Yeah. Saving money. That's right. So, so for people at home to understand, Mike told us we had to have a bowl of only green M&Ms in the green room for him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done the show. What do you say about that? Yeah, and they were all brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, Susan Sherman writes, Dear Alan and Blake, uh, for mashed potatoes, skin on or skin off? Oh, Blake, I'll you sound like point. you have an opinion. Skin off. Skin you off? You put skin in my mashed potatoes, I'm going to throw it at you. Wow, that's, uh, he's, he's willing to violate uh, the nap over the nasty. potato. Just nasty. Uh, why, we got way too many food-oriented questions. That's on because the you're all on diets. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what the thing about? So first of all, skin off, and second of all, you know what mashed potatoes is for me? Do, do you ever have those foods where you used to just eat them nonstop, like they were one of your favorite things, and then at some point? during the same, like simultaneously during a time that you eat that food, you get very ill and then like, Mm -hmm. like it kills your taste buds for it. Mm. That happened for me with mashed potatoes. Really? Yeah. So now, so like when I was a little kid, like my plate would just be a mountain of mashed potatoes and like two green beans. There you go. And I just, that was sustenance for me. And now I can't stand mashed potatoes. Wow. You ruined it for yourself. Hmm. Well, yeah. Well, I was sick. Well, there you go. Maybe when I was like 12, I got the Rona and nobody knew it. There you go. Maybe. 
So I go against the flow. I can actually go with skin in the mashed potatoes. Like I can go either way. I I like mashed potatoes both ways, but I don't mind the skin being in them. You know, the the nutrients are in the skin, so I'm told. Well, hey, Mike, you have to admit, though, that's like the lazy chef's way of making it. Come on. (laughs) Throw them in there and smash them up. All right. So, Suzanne, so that was it's two to one, no skin. And but but Blake takes it a step further and says you're a lazy piece of crap. Right. And he will kill you if you put skin in. my mashed potatoes. Um, Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan and Blake, will a statistician stop at nothing to avoid negative numbers? <sighs> Jeff Johnson writes, This Thanksgiving, who would you like to give the bird to? Blake, who would you like to give the bird to? What do you think, Mike? I'll get to you. I tell you what, that is a long and illustrious list. Just just give us one. I mean, tis the season after all. Oh, gosh. The referee who called me for a, a tripping penalty because the dude tripped over my stick when I was poking the puck away from him in the game last week. That would be a start. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Ugh. It's a bad call. This is this is turning into an episode yes. of sports ball before yeah, our eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm too nice. I'm not allowed to say what it. What are we this isn't sports ball? No. No, no there's oh, no yellow crap. thing, man. Come on. Um <laughs> this you? is the first moment in this episode that I looked down at the clock because I just I just had that brief moment of terror of we're way off schedule. Nah, we're good. We're actually not way off no, schedule. We're good. But now that I'm sharing a meta anecdote, we will be. Yeah. Uh, Lyle Dario asks, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike, uh, do do any of you guys ski or snowboard? Mike, do you ski or snowboard? I have skied on a few occasions, but they were all at Paoli Peaks in Indiana, and that can hardly be categorized as actually skiing. Blake, have you ever, ever skied I or would snowboard? if there was snow. Yeah, I was all just... I got is mud. Yeah, Everywhere. I was about to say, so I've never skied or snowboarded. It's not that I'm like against it like in in earnest it's more that just i'm from tennessee so what what's snow no like i mean <laughs> we just we just roll down our hill yeah that's it, what we do it's it's pathetic. yeah we don't have any uh, last one bob smiley writes um dear alan and blake and mike uh how would you like to receive the covid vaccine <laughs> mike how would you like to receive the covid vaccine <laughs> well i would prefer not to receive it at all <laughs> it's just uh, be honest there well, yeah, well but 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 Bob really insists. He's inviting you to share in his joy. Well, then I want them to stick it right in my rear end. <laughs> How many orderlies is it going to take to hold you down? <laughs> and are they men? I'm. Yeah. No, I hope not. Like this, we're trying to be professional on this show, and like every single time you go, so you've been to Mike, and he's talked about having it both ways. He's talking about wanting to stick it right in his rear end, and the whole time the camera's on him. I'm over here just, just doing that the whole damn time. What about you, Blake? Oh, you know, it would take a lot. They're going to have to pull me out in my front yard, hold me down. A bunch of cops put guns into my head and take that needle and shove it in my neck. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> I'm not taking it. Sorry. It wasn't in the neck. Well, yeah, um, because if you're going to get it, you might as well get it like right in a jugular, you know, wherever it hurts. I, I want them to pour it on one of them, one of them, uh, one chip challenges and we'll do that. 
One chip challenge, but now with Rona vaccine. There you go. Yeah. That might actually work. I wonder if they would counteract one another. Probably. I wonder what that says about the Rona vaccine if it's stronger than the ghost pepper. I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> These are all good questions. They are. But they we don't have any more time. I know. Let's go ahead and take a commercial break. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at alan at funnybroke.com. Our guest today the National Communications Director of the Tenth Amendment Center, as well as you can find his numerous books, uh, blog posts, episodes of his various podcasts, including Godarchy. You can find all of that at michaelmeharry.com. Michael Meharry, you know him as Mike. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing just fantastic, except for the brown M&Ms that were left in the green room. That was disappointing. But other than that, this is great. It's great to be on the show. You know, this this isn't exactly what we were going to talk about, but I, I want to get this out of the way really quick. What episode of Godarchy are you on now? Well, I quit number, numbering them, so I don't know. I think it's like 54, 55, somewhere in that ballpark. And who is the only two-time guest of that program? Well... It was you. Was? Yes. We're about to have our second two-time guest in the next episode. Garbage. Well. But current, currently, you are the only two-time guest. Unsubscribed. <laughs> so, Mike, the, the name of tonight's episode is The More Things Change. And you and I decided, we got two segments today, and we decided for the first segment, we were going to talk a little bit about, like, obviously the election is still in the news. Um, some some very poor, naive, damn fools think the election hasn't been decided yet. Yes. Right. Um, but, but that being neither here nor there, your take is not so much being concerned about who ultimately is declared the winner. I, your concern that you said to me was more of, well, but what difference does it make? basically so yeah so uh, no go ahead no, i was just you i was ahead. just gonna say so we're we're gonna we're gonna assume i think safely for the sake of this episode that that joe biden will be the next president of the united states but that being neither here nor there what 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 type of drastic changes to the world starting with the economy or foreign policy or wherever you want to begin can we expect in a biden administration well, if you're somebody that cares about liberty or if you're somebody who cares about the Constitution, which uh -oh. at the Tenth Amendment Center, that's important to us. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're concerned about limited government, then absolutely nothing is going to change. I wrote a book back in 2012 called Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty. It's about nullification. And I was going back and I was looking at the last chapter of that book the other day. And in there, I talked about the fact that Barack Obama promised hope and change, and yet we still had the same thing we had during the Bush administration. We still had the Patriot Act spying. We still had the endless wars. Mm -hmm. the, the debt and spending was still going up. You know, All of these things that we hate uh, were still happening under Obama. There was no change despite all of the hope. 
And I said at the time that the Republicans are saying, well, when we take over, it's all going to be different. We're going to fix it all. So then we've had four years of Donald Trump and he added $7 trillion to the national debt. We still have the endless wars. Uh, the Patriot Act is still firmly in place. Obamacare is still in place. So again, practically speaking, very little has changed other than the rhetoric and the fact that we had a much more interesting White House Twitter feed than we did under Obama. And my prediction is that when Biden gets into the office, and I did say when, sorry, but when Biden's in the White House, I think we're still going to have the endless wars. The national debt's going to continue to go upward. Uh, the Patriot Act will not be repealed. Obamacare will probably be expanded. So all of these things just continue on a regular trajectory. And I've said this for a long time. If you are somebody who is concerned about liberty, if you're concerned about limited government, fixing or changing out the person who is in the Oval Office is going to make no difference. It's like a broken down car and it's up on blocks and the engine doesn't work and it doesn't make a damn bit of difference what driver you put in the driver's seat. The system itself is broken and, and I have no faith in any national federal politician to fix it. Well, as loath as I am to do it, I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. Uh -oh. So I'm I'm okay, I'm going to I'm going to st start with one thing that you you had mentioned you had mentioned Obamacare, Patriot Act, some of the some of these different things. Now hold on a second. I have been told time and again, particularly from right wing sources, particularly because we just had a Republican president, that one of the most important things you get is the the guy in charge who can appoint Supreme Court justices, and of course as was just recently the news, they rushed through the, not the con confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Now, I, I don't want to necessarily rehash discussing ACB herself, and, and I'm not one of these people who thinks that that was necessarily an issue in a vacuum. Like, look, if there was a Democrat in the White House, they absolutely would have moved to fill that seat before the election. I don't, you'd be a hypocrite to say otherwise. With that said, though, hold on a second, Mike. Is that not a legacy of the Trump administration that, okay, we got another, another conservative judge. So, you know, who, who cares about Biden coming into office? We've, we've got the votes. We're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We're going to get rid of Obamacare. You're, you're trying to tell me that's not the case. <sighs> Bad news, folks. That's another broken down car. So you can change out the nine drivers. I don't know how you have nine drivers in a car, but that's what they do over there at the Supreme Court. No, it's not going to change anything. You know, the dirty little secret is that it, Roe v. Wade was a majority Republican court <gasps> that uh, came up with that travesty. So, yeah, and and here here's the here's the dirty little secret about the court. You can you can there are definitely ideological differences in the court. The problem is that they are all wedded to the system. They are all wedded to this idea that precedent is sacrosanct. So they're not going to overturn these landmark cases because basically that would be admitting fallibility in the court and we can't have that, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, Obamacare is, or and not, well, Obamacare is too. Uh, it's firmly established and we've already seen hints. There's an Obamacare case that's up now. We've already seen hints that they're going to let it stand. Roe v. Wade's not going to be overturned. You're never going to overturn something like Wickard versus Filborn, where the, the Supreme Court basically gave the federal government control over every economic activity, despite you know the very limited nature of the Commerce Clause. None of that is ever going to change. So 
all you can hope for with the conservative court is it may slow down the progression, but they're not going to overturn these precedents. That's they they don't believe in it. It's against their their legal dogma, and their legal dogma uh, rate ranks above their ideological preferences. Okay, now I'm I'm so I'm going to harken back to our our meme of the week from the previous segment. Uh, so you talked about how even though Donald Trump was in office, we had. We had the debt, we have the wars, yada, yada, yada. But I've, I've been told by all the right-wing sources that Donald Trump was a peace president. That, you know, look, he, he's withdrawn the troops from Germany. He's, the, the troops are going to be home by Christmas from Afghanistan. Um, you know, we didn't start any new wars. And, of course, you know, you know Biden because he's just round two of the Obama administration. Here come the drone bombings. Here come Syria, Libya, Yemen, all that. Oh, so where am I wrong on that? Well, again, the rhetoric is much different from the reality when it comes to Trump's record as a peace president. And he has done some admittedly better things, I guess. Uh, We could argue that he has wound down the war in Afghanistan to some degree. But the fact of the matter is that uh, he dropped more bombs in Afghanistan than Obama did. Hmm. And while we are all focused on Afghanistan, he has ratcheted up the war in Somalia. Yes, we have a war in Somalia. Did you know that? (laughs) Uh, And he he dropped more bombs in Somalia uh, just over the last few months than Bush and and Obama did combined. Uh, Then we also have the ongoing genocidal war in Yemen, uh, which Trump actually had the opportunity to end and vetoed it. When Congress tried to withdraw support for that war in the backing of the Saudis, uh, Trump pulled out his veto pen. He also vetoed several attempts to cut spending for that war in Yemen. So, you know, maybe we've rearranged the uh, chairs on the the Titanic deck a little bit with Trump in office, but the wars have still gone on. The carnage is still gone on. The bombs are still falling. And, and the fact of the matter is, uh, despite all the rhetoric, there are still troops in Afghanistan. There are still troops in Iraq. There are still troops in Syria. And, and we have even hotter wars going on now in Somalia and Yemen. And then not to mention all of the little bitty wars that nobody ever reports on that are going on all over Africa. So, you know, I just don't buy the rhetoric. And, and again, you know, we could we could argue that that it's marginally better or marginally worse with one president or one party in control. But that's really like arguing that, uh, you know, my my drink is only 10 percent poison instead of 12 percent poison. OK, but you know, so you had mentioned the what was it, seven trillion, whatever ridiculous amount that's been added to the national debt. Now, Mike. These are unprecedented times, and, yes, they and are. Donald Trump has been there to try to guide the economy through this pandemic. So we can, of course, understand government spending in this particular era. But when Biden gets in, it's just going to be unbridled spending from the word go. Yeah, this is the easiest one to uh, debunk of all of them because you can't, you can't, uh, numbers don't lie, as the saying goes. Uh, let's go back to 2019, uh, which, as you will recall, was the was the wonderful time before the coronavirus pandemic. You remember that we used to actually like be able to go outside. It was fun. Uh, 2019, the Trump administration ran up the largest deficit 
that we had seen since the Obama years. It was the fifth largest deficit in the history of the United States during a time when supposedly we were in an economic boom. Now, people who understand the way the cycles of spending go understand that generally when you're in an economic boom, government spending drops, the debt drops because you have more economic activity. That means more taxes are collected. That means generally deficits tend to shrink during economic good times. No, 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 not when Trump's president, because he ratcheted up spending so much. We still managed to run the fifth largest deficit in the history of the United States before the coronavirus. And in the first two months of of fiscal 2020, before we even got to the coronavirus pandemic, we were already on track for a $1 trillion budget deficit uh, for this fiscal year before coronavirus, which is actually uh, only happened under Obama. So basically, if you're going to make the argument, Trump was the same as Obama when it came to the debt and spending. Well, before we move on to the last segment today, where we're we're going to change our tone. So for people who are watching still, they're like, "Ugh, this is, I just I can't bear anymore." We got some <laughs> we got some silver linings. We got we're going to talk a little bit about the good news of election 2020 in the next segment. But before we get there. I, I just want to kind of end this part of the talk on, on this note, Mike. It's something that you and I discussed before the show, which is how, how I, I, don't, I don't know if, if how come or why or, or if, if this is just more of a, a rhetorical question than anything. Um, but a lot of people keep saying, well, if Trump is destined to leave office, then you know what he should do? He should, he should pardon Edward Snowden. He should pardon hmm. Julia Assange. He should pardon Ross Ulbricht. You know what he should do? He should, he should declassify everything, declassify JFK, declassify UFOs, declassify Watergate. You know what, you know what he should do? He should withdraw all the troops from Afghanistan, Iraq, the list goes on and on and on while he's still the commander in chief. He should do all those things because that's going to stick in the crawl of those global elites that are taking over. But he hasn't done any of those things in the last four years. Right. So what, how, I guess I'm just tossing you like the softest of softballs. How naive is all that crap, Mike? Yeah, that's, that's naive crap. I mean, he should do all of those things. Sure. I, I, let's make no mistake, okay. but he's had that opportunity all along. And, and this, there's this persistent myth. I got this email uh, yesterday, in fact, by uh, from some guy who's convinced that that when it's all said and done, Donald Trump is going to be in the White House for the next four years. Ugh. And you know what he told me? What? Here's what's going to happen in the next four years. Trump is going to throw out all of the bankers and we're going back on a gold standard. <laughs> well, it's just the, the, the question that I like to ask people, it, it, the, the quickest way to get yourself blocked or to lose subscribers is if you have one that thinks the kind of tripe you just said. And the only response you have to give him is, is that, so what prevented him from doing that yesterday? Right. I mean, did he just, does, did he not agree with that position yesterday, but he now does. It just, this, this whole draining the swamp thing. I mean, if, if there's, if there's no lasting legacy at all is that we will remember this as the era of fake news. Not that there isn't, there is. Right. And, and of the phrase of draining the swamp. But yeah, I'm afraid the drain's got a lot of hair in it. But while, while I, while you and I could sit here and we could concede that maybe there are a few points that Trump has been less than terrible on, Maybe there are some reasons why we are not optimistic about a Biden presidency. I've, there's plenty of reasons for those. 
at the end of the day, we were all sold a bill of goods that Donald Trump, this, this non, you know, this mavericky old, you know, as John McCain used to be on SNL, this, this outsider, this non lifelong politician, he was going to drain the swamp. But like the first thing he did was appoint people like Mike Pompeo and John Bolton. Mm -hmm. That should have been the biggest red of red flags from day one that it was going to be Washington status quo. Is, has, yep. has that not been, in your estimation, what ultimately the Trump administration was? Yeah, I really think that we should relegate the phrase, make America great again, into the same pile as hope and change. Ooh. Because it was basically the exact same thing. Yikes. You heard it there, folks. So we're, we're going to change our tune. We're going to talk about some silver linings when we come back from the break. Don't go away. <laughs> timing for the Path to Liberty 10th Amendment Center commercial than to be right before this segment right here. Go ahead and pull up that website really quick. There's the 10th Amendment Center website. Uh, 10th Amendment Center. Is it .com or .org? .com. .com. So you, you can check it out right there. I mean, it's just always loaded with tons and tons of goodies. Uh, Mike Meharry, who's joining us today, is the National Communications Director of the 10th Amendment Center. So you can find even, even more Mike awesomeness over there at TAC. And of course, our friend Michael Bolden as well, which by the way, the, our, our new fun thing that Bolden and I do is, is he shares with me some of the lovely private messages he gets, like you shared in the last segment, the email you got. And, 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 and our new segment is, is I'll come on and do a dramatic reading of, of <laughs> one of those responses. So with, with, with TAC in mind, we were going to do a segment uh, that we affectionately called how I went from being a libtard to a Nazi overnight. Yeah. The transition is almost complete. <laughs> uh, so, so what do we, so what do we mean by that? What, what kind of, what kind of monsters do you guys fight often, often privately outside of the public purview, Mike? Yeah. So I joined up with the 10th amendment center back in like 2010 mm-hmm. or was it? 2011, somewhere back in that. It was during the Obama years. And the Tea Party was raging and and the right, uh, the conservatives, Republicans, they loved the 10th Amendment Center because we were sticking it to Barack Obama. We were talking about all of the unconstitutional actions that he was taking, holding him to task, you know, working at the state and local level to undermine uh, all of those Uh, federal programs and constitutional overreaches that were going on. And and we were much beloved by the the folks on the right. Sure. And then we had Donald Trump 
ascend to power, take up residence in the uh, in the White House. And I, and I have to wait. I, I forgot the most important thing. During that time, we were loathed by Democrats and folks on the left, and were regularly accused of being neo Confederates, racists, uh, and Nazis. Sure. Because you know that's that's what all of us right wingers are, right? Well, and then Trump uh, Trump arrives on the scene. He takes up residence, and we continue to do the exact same thing that we did the previous years. We continue to call out the president on unconstitutional actions and and seek at the state and local level to undermine those uh, federal overreaches. And all of a sudden, all of those people who loved me back in 2013, 2014, now all of a sudden they hated me, and I turned into a libtard. And I have the emails to prove it. And I was regularly lambasted by folks on the right uh, as a uh, as a libtard, a left winger, a socialist, a commie, all of those things. And now we're going to have Biden and the tide is about to flow back and I will no longer be a libtard or a communist. I will once again be a neo-confederate a Nazi, and probably a white supremacist because we've upped the ante from racist to white supremacist now. So uh, those things those things will be uh, those things will be back, and the left will hate us again. And um, at the Tenth Amendment Center, we will continue to do the exact same thing that we've done the past uh, however many years it's been. We're going to keep calling out the president on his unconstitutional actions and uh, undermining federal power through state and local action because that's what we do. Well, and, and I know you guys have the receipts, which is, which is probably the best part is that while, while public opinion ebbs and flows based on whether or not Magai is in office or not, you guys have been completely consistent. You can, you can go to the 10th Amendment Center website and see in years past articles hammering the exact same points. And, and, and to be fair, Mike, I got to tell you something that we had actually said on this show months ago now at this point is that we're going to try to get out of the habit of kind of doing like the outrage porn of, oh, look, who's a hypocrite because they're all hypocrites, right? Like they're all hypocrites. Right. So, I mean, we could make every single week's episode, look who, look, who's a hypocrite this week. <laughs> and so on the one hand, I don't, I don't want to do too much of that because I'm trying to stick to my word, but, I, but on the other hand, I just, I, I, I just have to ask or, or just have, have you highlight just the simple fact that uh, not only is this a, a regular phenomenon that you guys can sort of kind of count on at this point, and, and it does affect your bottom line because people are financially supporting your organization because they, they think you're a weapon against their political opponents. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the turns are tabled as they say. Right. Um, but, but I guess ultimately what I, what I want to get at is, is that how we, we know that people are hypocrites. We know that. But are, are, is, is there ever a moment in time that you, that you take a step back, you get some of those emails, you see some of those stories, did you ever take a step back and say, what, what would it take to move beyond that narrative? What would it, like, what would it take in, in terms of you guys? What kind of message would you have to deliver where you would transcend just purely partisan hackery, just left, right, whoever's in office, it totally affects your bottom line. What, what, what topics could you possibly discuss that are going to be seen as favorable either way? Is there, is there such a topic? I don't know that there is because everything is so politicized in this left, right paradigm. But the thing that makes me optimistic 
is that with every swing, I feel like we're like we're shaving people off of the edges that that wake up and get it. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a lot of people that were tea parties, uh, tea partiers, people that that Michael Bolden fondly calls partisan hacks mm -hmm. who abandoned us as soon as their guy was in the White House. But there were a small segment of people that that looked at it and said, wait a minute. You know, this guy's doing the same thing that the last guy was doing. We believe in the Constitution. We believe in these principles. And they stuck with us. And through the last four years, we have, have seen some folks that are more left-leaning begin to embrace the ideas of decentralization, of nullification, of devolving federal power because they recognize that that, that power that they had been accumulating through the Obama years was suddenly weaponized and turned against them. And I'm certain that a lot of those folks, now that you know their guy is in the White House, they'll go right back to wanting to centralize power and impose things from, from the top down. But I think there will be those that are that are left on the edges that will have a memory and they'll think, you know what? We need to be careful with this. We need to be wise with this. So I think every swing, you know, kind of shaves off those those edges and adds to the number of people who are are uh, taking a more principled, consistent approach uh, to decentralization and and devolving power away from Washington D.C. Because it becomes very obvious every time we have these switches that every bit of power that you give your guy, you know, when he's in charge, is ultimately going to fall into the hands of the bad guy uh, at some point, and so. The wise thing to do is not to give any of these people any power and keep the power as decentralized and, and diffused as possible. So in some ways, I'm optimistic. And, and as frustrating as it is to get those emails and have to deal with the with the rhetoric, uh, I feel like we're doing a great service to humanity by maintaining that consistent principle that we can that we can stick to and stand by. And, and nobody can come at us and say, well, you know, you said this then and this now. No, we've said, you know, our our standard is the Constitution when it comes to the federal government. And so it doesn't matter whether we have a Joe Biden or a Donald Trump or a uh, a Barack Obama or whoever you know comes next, because uh, it, as as the title of the show is, the more things change, the more they stay the same, and the Tenth Amendment Center stays the same. Well, speaking of silver linings uh, from election 2020, and uh, I, I noticed an article that you guys just recently had where you were talking about sort of the the political strategies of the gun people, which typically mm -hmm. is associated with the right. Versus the drug people, which are typically associated with the left. And you, you had made the point that, you know, I really wish the gun people would look at some of the strategies and have the same fervor for their, for their issue as the drug people have, because the drug people are making gains politically. So, so where are we at with that, with, with this election cycle and the drug war? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And if you look at the success of, I, I like to call them the weed people, um, you know, the potheads, the potheads are much braver than, than the gun people. You know, the potheads in, in, in 1996, they finally said, screw this. We're not going to get any changes at the federal level. So they just legalized uh, medical marijuana in California. And then, you know, from there, we now have 36 states that have uh, legalized marijuana in some way. Uh, despite ongoing unconstitutional federal prohibition. It's been highly successful because the federal government simply cannot enforce prohibition without state and local cooperation. The exact same thing is true of firearms. Uh, if state 
and local governments simply said, we're not going to enforce federal gun control, it's not going to get enforced uh, because the ATF doesn't have the personnel or resources. It depends on state and local law enforcement. So you could take this same strategy, the weed strategy, and you could apply it to firearms and you could have equal success. Unfortunately, the, the, the gun people tend to rely on sending a bunch of money to the feckless NRA or hoping that the next president you know, will, be, will be better. I mean, Trump was supposed to be the Second Amendment president, but what did Trump do? He actually ratcheted up uh, enforcement of federal gun control all three of the, of the past three years. And on top of that, implemented his own gun control, uh, which was the uh, bump stock ban. And meanwhile, you know, the weed, the weed people are continuing to make gains. In this past election, five more states uh, passed voter referendums that either expanded their marijuana legalization or legalized it for the first time. So we now have 15 states with recreational legal marijuana. And of all states, Mississippi yeah. legalized by a, broad, by a broad margin medical marijuana. So the reddest of red states, they're, they're going to have weed in Mississippi. Well, I'm, so I think that's the good news. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I was going to point that out. So, so Mississippi is one. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that it's, it's not, it's, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? When, when there's a issue that has a groundswell of public support and they, and they attack it on the state level and they, they go to the 10th amendment, they go to nullification and they get, and they just take the federal government out of the equation. I was going to bring up South Dakota as well. And you might correct mm-hmm. me on this South Dakota, which is, I think is pretty fair to say is a pretty red state. Um, I believe that they were the first state to go from having no state, uh, ruling on marijuana to having both medical and recreational passed at the same time. And so it's, uh, uh, does it, does it give you hope for the future to see a collection of traditional blue and red states kind of both shrugging off of the federal yoke, at least on certain issues. And then my follow-up question to that will be before we, before we wrap up is what, what is the strategy then? If, if the lefties have managed to get some of the righties on board with nullifying the drug war, then what will be the strategy for the righties to get maybe the lefties on board and use their strategy to attack gun control? Yeah. So you're correct. South Dakota was the very first okay. state to to go from complete prohibition to uh, legalizing both medical and recreational. So the typical pathway has been, you know, you get medical first and that's kind of the foot in the door. And then years down the road, you have uh, recreational legalized. They just they they actually passed two separate referendums and, and legalized both. So good job, South Dakota. Uh, and and. You know, I think that the pattern that we've seen play out, this has taken a long time. So, you know, I mentioned that California first legalized medical marijuana it was 1996. So, you know, we're, we're talking more than 15 years of, of efforts to get to the point that we are now. And in the early days, the, the states that were legalizing even medical were, were very blue states. So you had California, you had Oregon, you had Washington State, you had Colorado. Those first states were, uh, you know, they were they were as blue as you can get. Mm-hmm. And then gradually we started to see some of the purple states. And then, you know, now we've gotten to the point where we've had Utah and Mississippi and and Arkansas and some of these states that you would think, wow, you know, those those guys would never legalize marijuana. And I think part of it's just the psychology that happens when when you do something that has been prohibited and you can look at it and say, oh, my God, the world did not collapse you know, California legalized medical marijuana and and things went on and, and we don't have, 
you know, um, people dying of marijuana overdoses, which isn't a thing. Uh, but, you know, people recognize that it's not nearly the nightmare scenario that they're told. Then other people think, well, you know, maybe maybe this isn't such a bad idea. So the, so the idea grows in the public. And I think we could see the same thing happen with firearms. I think it's highly possible that if you started in some states that are really red, you know, a Texas or an, an Alabama or a Kentucky where, where there's a gun culture and they start not enforcing federal gun control. And people recognize, wait a minute, you know, it wasn't a nightmare scenario. This is, this is just fine. Then you might start to see that same type of, of spread into more blue states along the line. And I think there is some, you know, just overall, when it comes to firearms, you're seeing a lot more, uh, I was just reading an article the other day from, uh, I think it's ammo.com, and uh, it was talking about the fact that there's been a huge surge in concealed carry permits uh, by African Americans. Uh, you've seen growth in organizations like Black Guns Matter. So there there are people that are reaching these more traditionally left-wing constituencies, uh, and, and, and they're more open with the idea of, hey, maybe it's a good idea to defend ourselves, you know? Uh, you look at something like we're going to defund the police. Well, then how are you going to protect yourself? So I, I think that there's I think we could see the same kind of momentum, but it's going to take concerted effort. It's going to take patience and it's going to take a change in mentality from the folks who are driving this movement to get them to switch strategies and quit begging the Supreme Court to protect my rights or, you know, trying to to. Uh, elect the, the Second Amendment president and start working at the state and local level. And, and it's not as satisfying because we all want this one-size-fits-all solution that we can impose from Washington, D.C. And and that's, that's quick and easy, but it's not going to happen. So you need to do the hard work at the state and local level and follow that path that, that, that we people have taken mm -hmm. and, and know that you're going to suffer some defeats along the way. I mean, when you go back to 1996, there were some people that sacrificed for legalized marijuana. I mean, it wasn't like the feds sure. just said, oh, okay. You know, they came in and they were aggressive in enforcement and people lost their property and people went to jail. And you hear stories about the dispensaries being raided and, mm -hmm. and then folks coming in and opening them back up, you know, by the end of the day. So we need that kind of mentality with the gun people. Have the guts of the weed people, gun people. <laughs> well, Mike, I'm glad that you gave us the blueprint because we're out of time. Well, there you go. Do you have a final thought, Mike? Where can, where can people support Michael Meharry? Well, I think uh, first place I would love people to go is to 10th Amendment Center .com. We're about to ramp into the 2021 state legislative sessions. I think with the change of administration, there's going to be a lot of nullification efforts going on. I think one of the, the silver linings of this election is that Republicans will suddenly start to care about the Constitution again. No. And yes. And I think we I think honestly, I think Republicans are better at being a, uh, a, a opposition party than they are being in charge. So uh, check out what we're doing over at the 10th Amendment Center and uh, support the work that we're doing there because we are directly pushing back against big government federal overreach. Uh, and then you can check out my website at michaelmeharry.com. And if you're looking for a great Christmas present, mm -hmm. you can get my book, Constitution Owner's Manual, Ooh. and you can find out what the Constitution really means and says. And you can give that to your friends because we're going to need that with uh, with a Biden presidency, just like we needed it with the Trump presidency. So there you go. Everybody who's listening is of a right wing persuasion. It's not that we want you out of power. We just think you're just so gosh darn good at being uh, <laughs> being the opposition party. That's what it is. 
That's it. Guys, we will be right back after this break. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com at TV. Find our whole library if you subscribe on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash TV. Also, don't forget, you can go to Parlor. You can find me on Parlor. I'm Parlor at Alan Mosley. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week.